are in a series right now at Jesus Community. We're celebrating what God's doing. God is doing great things with our next gen ministry and also the blessed stories. We continue to share them every week because God has blessed all of us, not just a couple of us. He's blessed all of us to be a blessing. And when you hear stories about people who are going to commit suicide but then experience God's love and their lives change, you get a fresh vision and fresh encouragement and fresh hope of what God can do in our lives and in our community. And it's exciting to be walking with God and trusting Jesus together, growing in our faith together as well, a Jesus community. And we're going to be having a party in two weeks. If you haven't heard, it's over at the Showware Center, and it's called Tacoma Stars Faith and Family Night. But what I want to highlight is that, uh, you know, from the start, we're going to have Liz and Nicole and David singing the national anthem. Uh, we've got a whole section. So many people are, are coming already. I'm going to share a message afterwards with Vinny, one of the players who goes to Grace. There's going to be, our kids are going to be able to come on the field. It's just going to be a lot of fun. But here's the key. We're creating that space so that, one, we have an opportunity to be together beyond just on the weekend. But, you know, get to know some people that maybe haven't met before and also invite someone. Because you probably know a lot of people who might not be ready to come to church, but to come to an indoor soccer game and have some fun, tickets are only $8, it's like, yeah, what a great opportunity to invite people into a space, again, where they can experience God's love. So that's coming up in two weeks. We're looking forward to that. Also, I want to share an update. Thank you for the prayers. This is an answer to prayer, but I went to meet with the surgeon this week because, you know, I have a full rupture of my Achilles tendon, and it looked like everything was headed towards surgery. And when I met with him, there was so much good news. He said the strength is there, the stability is there. He said that the tissue is filling in the gap between the tendon. There's no soft spot. He said there's a soft spot. We'd have to do surgery, but there's no soft spot. This is more medical information than some of you want to know. But th there's, no, there's no blood buildup there. And, and he said it's healing remarkably well, and we don't need to do surgery. So... Thank you for the prayers. I'm grateful to God. It was just like, whew, you couldn't take the smile off my face for a couple of days. And I'm grateful for the elders also praying uh, and, you know, just personally coming up and praying after our elders meeting. And the elders also today are going to be praying because about once a month now, and this is right out of James chapter five, if anyone needs healing, the elders take oil and pray for people. At the end of this message, the elders will be up front and you can come forward. There's no shame. I just said I was prayed for. It's wonderful. God works and he heals. And to come forward, this is a house of prayer for all nations. God loves us. And when we come forward and say, God, we need you, just like we sang, we can come forward and say, God, we need you. And prayer that happens at first service, like we say every month, because God is moving and God is healing and God is restoring. It might be your marriage. It might be your mental health. It might be a physical condition. But let God heal and uh, take that step of faith today. Okay, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. If you brought a Bible or you want to turn there on your phone, if you ever need a Bible, let us know. We want to make sure you got your own copy of God's Word. And the way we have ministry set up here is that on Sundays as a family, we're in God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And then there's a second uh, experience of God's Word. That's in our life groups. We have about 50 life groups, 500 people or so in life groups. And that's that community where you can have conversations about the same passage. And then individually alone during this next week in God's Word. And when you cultivate those three habits, coming to church on Sundays as a family, in community, individually listening to God in the passage, God will speak to you. He's going to build you up and transform your life because this Word right here is like no other book. It's living and active. It's God's Word. It's powerful. And God's Spirit and God's Word make us more like Jesus. Change us together as a community. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for all the answers to prayer. 
And we thank you and give you all the glory. We thank you for our church family. God, how you rescue, you restore. We think that this is a safe place that we can be honest with you and go deep with you and meet with you here. God, if, if it wasn't for your presence, we just wouldn't have hope. But because of your presence, we're filled with an overflowing hope. And we thank you for what you're going to do now. In Jesus' name, amen. We all have two stories. There's the outside story and the inside story. The outside story is what people see and observe. The inside story is what no one really knows fully except you and God. And sometimes in church or in you know, different settings, it's easy to just only reveal the outside story without going very deep on the inside story. But in this letter, the Apostle Paul is going to break the ice because he's going to continually share the inside story. Would you agree that it takes courage to be vulnerable and transparent. And when someone is, Paul with the Corinthians here, it opens the door for more people to share their inside story. It might be one person in your family, one person in your life group, one person at work that in an appropriate way reveals part of the inside story where connection and healing can happen, where God comes in and does a deep work. And throughout this letter, there's the outside story and the inside story. We're gonna see both today. Paul's metaphor is that our bodies are like jars of clay. And the question is, what's happening on the inside? What's happening? What's in your jar today? What's happening inside this jar of clay? And we're going to gain a fresh vision of how much God can do, of what God can do, and what God can do right now as we invite him in with his presence. We're in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Therefore... Since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. For the God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ." Paul is not writing this from an ivy tower. He's not just trying to put together some theological treaties. No, he's not waxing eloquent. He's writing this from a context of deep pain, in a context of struggle, and of being personally attacked. The personal accusations included that Paul was cunning, full of trickery and deceit. The same word here is used for the name of the devil, that crafty, cunning, deceitful serpent. Uh, That devil... Well, that's a description for Paul. Maybe someone's called you a few things over the years. Maybe someone's tried to, you know, pin you down, accuse you, and land something on you that's not true. Paul responds by saying, there's no deception here. In fact, there's no secret, no shameful ways. Our conscience is clear. We're honoring God. Now, when people spread rumors and gossip and slander about you, sometimes it's going to be wise to just keep moving on because you can't chase down everything everyone says about you all the time. You're going to be exhausted. You don't need that role. On the other hand, 
it's also wise sometimes to address the rumors in the gossip in the slander. And sometimes it's necessary, and it's necessary here. Why? Because there's a calculated attack against Paul, and also it's public, it's widespread, many people are stumbling in their faith, and Paul is doing some damage control by bringing the truth humbly about who he is. Not only are they going against Paul personally, but also they're trying to undermine the gospel. In Corinth, there's false teachers, and they are trying to undermine God's word, and they're criticizing Paul's message. That's why Paul says right here, we preach Jesus. We are servants of Jesus, and this is the truth of Jesus. The mercy of God, the light of God, the glory of God. You can hear his language. What he's saying is that we're all about Jesus. We serve you for Jesus. Our message is Jesus. What you're going to hear consistently is Jesus and his goodness. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We will not waver with the message of Jesus. Full confidence in Jesus. Paul talks about his character. Paul talks about the message here. And Paul is also aware that many people reject Jesus because there's a spiritual battle. And the devil, who's a powerful fallen archangel, has a goal of keeping people's eyes and minds blinded to who Jesus is. Jesus understood it when he was crucified and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Sometimes people who follow Jesus, they're so harsh with people who don't follow Jesus. And they kind of look down upon them like they're second rate. And they act like they're elite because, you know, they know the Lord. Never should happen. That's a sin. Instead, with compassion, Paul understands there's a spiritual battle and some people have their minds and their eyes blinded. And he understands because that was his story. He was moral, he was respected, he was religious, but he wasn't born again. He didn't know Jesus and he had blinders on his eyes. Well, those scales fell off. He realized the resurrected Jesus, Savior and Lord, King of Kings, and he decided to follow Jesus. And Paul knows I know. I spent 18 years without the Lord. My eyes were blinded. And when those scales fall off, it's wonderful. It's powerful. And you just want to be part of that message that can change people's lives. And it's a glimpse into the spiritual that's real. And in every generation, how does God work to overcome the enemies, the blindness that the devil's working to keep over people's eyes? How does God work? Here's how he works through Paul, Silas, and Timothy here. Here's how he works in every nation and generation. God raises up people of integrity who will also speak up about Jesus. God raises up people of integrity who will also speak up about Jesus. You might consider your purposes on earth and maybe you think about your job and your to-do list and all the things you know that are coming up this week. Underneath all of that, far more important, your integrity and speaking up about Jesus. That combination right there. And Paul says this, we do not lose heart. Why would he say this repeatedly? To lose heart means to give up. What Paul's sharing is that time and time again, he felt tempted to give up. Do you ever feel tempted to just give up? Give up your calling. Give up leading people to Jesus. Give up the marriage. Just give up on your gifts. Give up on God. Just feel like giving up. Feel like quitting. Low places when you just, you just feel like quitting and giving up. And Paul says, we're not going to do that. He's acknowledging that's the main battle often in our lives is we just want to give up. But Paul's saying we're not going to give up. We're not going to shut up. 
And we're going to continue with Jesus. We're going to continue to run the race and fight the good fight. I made a decision a while back that on social media platforms, I was going to share Jesus. And I realized for some people, okay, they'll unfriend me because they don't want much Jesus content. And it's not every post. But when you share Jesus, there's just a certain amount of heat that comes back and will come back and has always come back. And there's stuff that shows up every week for me. And I often delete it, but sometimes I'll leave it. And this week in sharing Jesus, one of the comments is, you're weak and you're delusional. Okay, well, do I delete that? Do I save that? What about the other great compliments that are similar, right? Well, listen, it's just par for the course. Like, that's what happened to Jesus. That's what happens to the apostles. I'm not saying we're the apostles, but I'm just saying if you live for Jesus in a public way, that's coming. That's coming. And he's sharing this with the Corinthians because their default mode is to play it safe. The Corinthians are kind of self-consumed. They really like their luxury. They're passive in that culture. They're kind of going back to different sins, and they just feel like hiding. They're kind of intimidated. Can you relate at all? In Paul, sharing it with them that they The hardships you're going to experience from following Jesus and the glory that God is going to receive go together. In the Corinthians, they're kind of like, well, could we just remove the hardships part and just bring glory to God? Could we sever those? Are they mutually exclusive? Could we have this luxurious, comfortable life where people don't give us a hard time and you know what? We glorify God. Could that just work? Well, Jesus didn't have that. Paul didn't have that. And anyone who lives a life for Jesus is going to be persecuted. The hardships, the persecution, and the glory, they all go together. The goals, think of these two things. Private integrity. You're the same person that people see when they're not looking. Private integrity. And then the other one, public. And I think when you preach those things, a lot of followers of Jesus will say, private integrity, okay, yeah, that's a good point. Kind of convicting, but yeah, that's a good point. Public influence, I feel like... What's so common is just publicly make it palatable. Make your faith palatable. Make the gospel palatable. Make the message palatable. If anything's not politically correct, if anything, you know, might offend someone with the gospel, then just turn that down. Because the last thing we'd ever want to do is offend someone. And the last thing I'd ever want is any kind of persecution. So let's just turn and water the message down and we'll avoid all that. Doesn't that sound wonderful? Now, I'm not giving a blank check to be rude or obnoxious, never do that, but I'm just simply stating the gospel offends. And Jesus was killed. All the apostles were killed except John. And there's a cost of following Jesus. In trying to take all of this in, we make decisions every week. Yeah, what about that private integrity? What about that public influence? You know, it starts with me with my family. And I have a family. Dozens of people in my family don't know Jesus, don't follow Jesus, don't trust Jesus. So we have some interesting conversations. We're very close. We love each other. We have fun. Uh, my family has a lively sense of humor. It's playful. It's honest. Uh, but there's a little, you know, back and forth sometimes. This week, uh, someone in my family texted me. And you know how some people say, good luck? And when people say that, I never quite know how to respond. Because I want to say, well, I don't believe in luck. Like, it's not random. It, like, this is... God blessed us. This gift is from God. Or, the, you know, you know how that goes inside. So they texted me with two little fingers crossed. 
icons, you know, those images, fingers crossed, like, good luck, you know, hey, fingers crossed, boom, boom. And I looked at that and it was like, should I touch it or not? <laughs> do you have those moments? Like, do I touch it? Do I go there? How do I go there? Maybe not, maybe not, maybe it's not the day. I thought, I got to go there. So I sent back two images of prayer. You know, you can text that back and I just put two of those. And then I did two of the wink winks, you know, like, hey, this is light, it's playful. I know you don't know the tone, but we're having a good time. And they sent the images back of a four-leaf clover and a rabbit's foot. It's like, I see you, and I raise the ante, double down, here we go, game on. And, uh, you know, for those who don't know, rabbit's foot's supposed to be superstitious, good luck. There's a lot of just good luck stuff, right? Jump over the cracks in the sidewalk, don't walk under a, an, uh, a ladder, black cats, you know, all these different things. And I have some of my family who buys in to all of that stuff. So the four-leaf clover comes back, the rabbit's foot comes back, and I just typed in, hey, it didn't look like it worked out too well for the rabbit, I mean, the, the rabbit was killed. I'm not so sure the foot's going to do any good. And, and so back it goes. It's like ping pong, back to you. And, and, and then they came back with, well, the same thing could be said about Jesus. Ooh, what do you do with that? What do you do with that, right? And, and then they added to keep it a little levity. They said, I just know your Achilles tendon's ruptured, so you can't catch me and I can get away with that and run away, you know? <laughs> And so, oh, I see what you did there. And, uh, and so, you know, I just said, you know, there's a difference between superstition and sacrificial love. And, you know, that rabbit and Jesus, there's a difference right there. There's a difference. Uh, and we just went back and forth, like kind of serious, kind of fun, kind of playful, kind of deep. And we just had a great time, like going back and forth. Starts with family sometimes, doesn't it? And every family is different. Your family has a certain language. That's a glimpse into my family's language. But it starts with family. And then it goes beyond family, where we live, work, learn, or play. That personal integrity, that public influence. And all the time we know how weak we truly are. Throughout the whole time, we know how much we need God in every step of the way. And that's why I say God displays his royalty through our fragility. God displays his royalty through our fragility, we're fragile. Paul says it this way, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're perplexed, but we're not in despair. We're persecuted, but we're not abandoned. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. Jars of clay. Now, here's a few pictures. When you think about these jars of clay, some of them are ordinary, some are very artistic. Uh, you are a jar of clay. You're made in God's image. You're wonderfully made. You also have some limitations and some weaknesses. What happens to jars? Sometimes jars get cracked. Jars get broken. There's some damage. Maybe some of you have come in today, and there's some clear cracks that have formed this last week. Maybe some of you today don't even feel like you resemble a jar anymore because there's so many pieces and so many things have just been shattered. A jar of clay. Well, in jars of clay, in that ancient culture, they would put coins and treasures. Sometimes a couple, sometimes 50, sometimes thousands. And archaeologists dig up 
these jars and they find the coins and the treasures in times of war or battle or threats to try to protect their treasure, you know, keep it safe. They would put it in a jar of clay. That gives us the visual and that gives us the image how God's treasure, God's presence and the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, God places his royalty, his presence in our human, sometimes frail and fragile bodies. What a wonder. We're not God, but God dwells in us. Paul felt this aspect of clay. You know, the Bible says dirt to dirt. God breathes life in us. We have a short life. But then his glory is in this temple. His glory is in our body. There's also pain. Paul had physical pain, relational pain, and spiritual pain. He had scars. He was beaten, jailed, misunderstood, gossip, slander, false accusations, temptations continually, fatigue. They threw stones at him and tried to kill him, riots, and also beat him with rods. The list goes on and on as Paul was following Jesus. And that's why he says we are perplexed, which means we feel some despair. But we're not in despair. That second word means total despair. I feel some despair, but I'm not in total despair. Do you feel any despair? And we have those feelings, and they can come on like waves. They can stick around. And the world doesn't feel right and look right. And we feel so low and we have those feelings of despair. But it's not a total despair because God is with us. He doesn't forsake us. And he's going to be faithful. He's going to keep his promises. He's strong. He upholds us. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the letter previously that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, in verse 9, he gives us this image. And this is such a powerful image for the readers For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like men condemned to die in the arena. We have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels, as well as to men. Back in the Colosseum, in the theater, when there was a criminal, they had a tradition where they would have wild beasts and thousands would gather and they would bring in the criminals one after another to fight the wild beasts. And the crowd was entertained and it was gory. Ultimately, the criminals would die and people would cheer. And it was a culture far away from God and they would celebrate that vicious, violent death. And Paul uses this imagery and he's saying, we, as we follow Jesus, we know what's coming. We're going to be martyrs. We feel that sentence of death. We're not going to be around that long. We've got a short race to run, but we're not going to give up. We're not going to shut up. We're not going to shrink back. We're going to be faithful to God. Yes, we're going to die. Yes, we're going to be beaten, but we are going to shine the light of Jesus in this culture. And our goal is not to just be palatable. We're looking for transformation. And aren't you inspired by Jesus who set his face like flint to lay down his life so that others could live. Paul physically is going to take a beating so others spiritually can come alive. Aren't you inspired by the early church when you read the Bible? And there's death threats at every turn and they don't shrink back. They stay faithful in their culture. Doesn't it want to change the way that you follow Jesus in this culture to maybe not be so politically correct intimidated, silent, just fitting in, blending in, palatable, when you know that there's a hope that's real, when you know that there's a Savior that's good, when you see people, you know, thinking about, talking about, and taking their lives, don't you just want to step in and say, there's a hope for you. You are loved. And share that message 
that brings eternal life, that brings abundant life, God's presence, nothing better, deep inside these jars of clay. And I read this and I think, how much am I willing to, how much am I suffering for Jesus? What cost am I willing to endure to really live for him? And what have I given up in following the Lord? What have I given up? Not that it's all about our sacrifice. It isn't. But it's good to reflect sometimes and just think, who am I living for? And how much am I living for the one I'm living for? And God's attracted to our weakness. Here's the good news. Because some of us come from a training or a family or a mindset that, oh, there's a calling. Now the pressure's really on us. Now the world's watching. Now I gotta try harder. Now I gotta white knuckle. Now I gotta fake them out. Now I gotta be perfect. If I love Jesus, I gotta be perfect, so I gotta try, try, try to be perfect. I'll tell you, that'll take a dead-end religious road. And on the inside, you're gonna be dying, and it's gonna lead to a double life. And you're not gonna be who you really are around people because you're just trying so hard. Here's what's life-giving. is when you say, God, I'm a jar of clay. Come in your presence God is attracted to weakness. I used to grow up thinking God's only interested in my success. That's what God really likes, things I do well. When things are going well, that's, what, that's when God really likes me. I didn't realize that we have a God who's actually attracted to our weakness, who comes and brings mercy in our sin. And when we have limits, when we have failures, uh, when I know I can't do it on my own strength, God is thrilled to show up and heal and restore and build up, and it's his presence. Don't ever believe this false gospel that, you know, you just got to do it all yourself. The message is we're jars of clay, and until God's Holy Spirit comes and takes over, you know, until we say yes and open up the doors, in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. Until that happens, we're just going to be playing religious games. But because he loves us so much... And that's what the book of Lamentations says. Lots of grieving throughout the whole book. But then right in the middle, the third of the fifth chapter, because of God's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They're new. His mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness. So how do you experience God's love? You know a primary way that God brings his love is through relationships. And that's why in this series we've been saying blessed to bless other people. And blessing the people around you. You say, well, they're tough to love. Blessing the people around you. Um, I'm struggling to forgive them. Bless the people around you. Well, they're so immature. Bless the people around you. They keep doing the same thing to me. Bless the people around you. Forgive them and bless them. That's what God's calling you to do in truth and in love, to bless the people around you. Together, and I love the individual stories, together we just uh, built a house through you know, a donation in uh, Myanmar, where there's so much chaos and turmoil, so many displaced people right now. But together, we make a difference. We're blessed to bless other people, locally and globally. And that's the mindset Paul has. It's not a question of, are you worthy? Paul knows he used to kill Christians. Paul knows he used to hate Jesus. It's not a question of worthy and unworthy. It's the grace of God. He says, it's the grace of God. God saved me. God gave me this ministry right now. And God has revealed to me this upside down kingdom. He said, I used to be one way, but now I'm different. And I realize the last shall be first and the first shall be last. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. You came to serve and not to be served. 
Those who try to hoard and you know, gain and make it all about themselves, they're not really going to be living. But those who lay down their lives, they're going to be so alive. They're going to discover life in Jesus' name. This is upside down, countercultural, counterintuitive from Jesus. And Paul says, that's the life I'm going to live. And yes, there's clay. And yes, there's glory. There's glory. And it's this, the last truth. God renews you deeply and daily in your most difficult seasons with his faithful love. Listen to God's renewal. Receive God's renewal today. In verse 13, it is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All of this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And listen to these last couple verses. Therefore, we do not lose heart. We do not give up. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. We have faith because God is faithful. If God was not faithful, then there's no reason to have faith. But because God's faithful, we have faith. And faith moves mountains. Look at verse 15. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. About six years ago, when we were praying and listening to God for the vision of Grace Community Church, we were gathered together as the elders and praying daily grace, walking with God 24-7, not just one place in one hour. Abide and respond, listen to God, moving in the power of the Holy Spirit, being on mission where we live, work, learn, or play. And Dave Kanashiro, looking at Dave right here, says, this is the verse that jumped out to me. All of this... It's for your benefit so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. And here we are six years later. You say a pandemic's happened the last two years. God is changing more lives through our church now than ever before. His grace abounds. It just keeps going locally, globally for his glory. There's a hope that overflows. And then the end of this verse it says, outwardly, we're wasting away. That doesn't sound like an encouraging sentence, does it? Who has that on their kitchen, their bathroom? <laughs> Anyone has that Bible verse there? Uh, outwardly, we're wasting away. Uh, okay, I'm glad that's only half the story. Uh, inwardly, we're renewed day by day. There's an inward renewal that's greater than the challenges we face in our mind and in our body. You know what's happened many times uh, since I've been at Grace is that people have had cancer, and many dear people have died of cancer. And it's one of the hardest things to see and watch and be around. And I was sharing with someone a couple months ago at our church, um, dying of cancer, and just sharing this verse, that though physically there might be some deterioration, or mentally, emotionally, sometimes there's deterioration, yet inwardly, God renews us. There's an inward renewal available to all of us every day, through the Holy Spirit, that inward renewal that's greater than even the outside story. 
Now, think about Ukraine for a minute and all of the death, tragedy, destruction that's happening now. It's heartbreaking. We're praying. We're praying every Monday at noon. Many people are joining us here at church and online. We're praying. There's a woman uh, who lives in Auburn. She's a shop owner from Ukraine, and she joined us this week. And we prayed with her, and then we prayed for her and uh, with tears. And she comes from more orthodox tradition. And this is what she declared. Like in tears, she said, we're all one. We're all one. It's not the denomination. Are you orthodox? Are you Protestant? But in the Lord, that love, there was a sense of renewal you could see in her eyes. In Ukraine right now, you know, many people are dying. Some of us, we're going to go. I know someone who's gone to take care of refugees. Some of us are going to pray. Some are going to give. It's going to be a lot of different reactions. Whatever has your name on it, follow the Lord. One thing that's happening that's encouraging, global media outreach is serving Ukraine. And Oli was someone who was looking for physical shelter. And the online missionaries are helpful in the physical sense of helping people find that shelter. But also Oli. And he was talking to Nathan. And Nathan led Oli to not only a physical shelter, but led Oli to Jesus. And since uh, this destruction, you know, the last few weeks, 12,000 people in Ukraine have made decisions online to indicate that they're going to follow Jesus. And (laughs) praise God. And it's just like God, out of the worst situations you could imagine, to still bring life and hope and transformation. And that's why I think it's so important. Yes, we look at what we see, (laughs) but we focus on what we don't see. Yes, what we see is real, but there is an eternal glory that far outweighs. I mean, how could Paul say these challenges are light? How could he say they're just temporary and light? Going through cancer, that almost sounds offensive, that that this would be like temporary, a light challenge. Like, it's so, so incredibly difficult. Well, here's the only way you can do it is if you can see an eternal glory, if you can see our resurrected bodies, if you can see an eternity without sin and temptation and tears and death, if you can see that and we'll see Jesus face to face and that's going to last forever, then Paul says, when I get that vision, I can endure whatever this world throws at me. If they kill me while I'm preaching Jesus, then I'll die because I see that glory that far outweighs what I'm going through right now. Hope inspires hope. And I don't think anyone was going through more than Paul, and yet his hope was overflowing. Hope inspires hope. Receive the hope of Jesus in your jar of clay today, and you're going to inspire and bring hope to other jars of clay. But first receive. And right now I'm going to invite the worship team, the elders to come forward, and this is a time of prayer. It's a time to receive Our jars, sometimes they're cracked, they're broken, they're hurting. Where's your pain point? If I could ask you, where's your pain point? Is it your family or your marriage? Is it your finances? Is it physically? Something the doctors have diagnosed. Is it your walk with God? Where's your pain point in life right now? Where is your jar in terms of a deep crack? Where is that? What's happening on the inside? And then would you open up for God to heal Like I said, there's no shame in coming forward for prayer. It's a wonderful thing. Our God is a healer. Our God heals in the Bible. He heals today. 
Our God is mighty. He invites us. He invites us. So let's all stand in, together right now. And I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And then you can also just start to come forward. God, we thank you that you're our healer. You've made us jars of clay. We feel that. And Lord, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you have power, that you have love. God, we want to open up our inside story to you right now. Come, Holy Spirit, not on the outside, but on the inside. Move through these prayers, through the anointing of oil. God, we pray that you would get glory for the healing that's going to happen right now in deep places. And we pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.